Welcome back to the Elise DeLucci Show, episode 85. How are you doing? I feel like this episode is going to be a little theater-focused, as that's what I've been doing lately. Fact of the day, and unrelated to theater, the average age for marriage right now for men is 29, women 27. They're saying Americans were pushing off life milestones, but does do those ages really sound like we're pushing things off? Mm, I don't know. I got married at 27. I should have got married at 37. I don't even know how, how I was able stringing together sentences enough to, to make the very mature decision of signing a forever lifetime contract at 27. I think that's still a bit young. Um, in 2013, one in every four Americans are married. I don't know what the stat is right now. But in 1960, one out of every two Americans are getting married. And what I can say is that nobody wants to commit. Every girlfriend, guy, everyone I know, the guys are saying they couldn't think of anything worse. They want to keep it casual. Why? Why get married? What's the point? The girls, the girls are complaining that the guy can't even commit to a vacation, let alone commit to a, you know, marriage, signing a lifetime contract. I get it. But we all know that this is a thing. People's attention spans are shorter. Nobody wants to commit. Anyway, how was your Thanksgiving? We haven't spoken. Here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. We know I had this car accident, right? And I'm fine. I, uh, you know, but I have these things that are affecting me, like I have a concussion. Um, well, before I should say I talk about Thanksgiving, I went for a brain MRI a week ago. And note to self, never again. Okay, never again. I didn't even think to ask for a sit-down stand-up MRI. I didn't even know what the hell this was. I knew an MRI was a test um, was a deeper test than an x-ray, but I didn't realize a brain MRI was going to require me to lay on a bed and go all the way into a tube. Let me just paint a, a small picture for you, should you ever have to be in the situation, and I hope not. They took me into this room. They closed the steel door, and they told me to get on this thing, and then, and I did, and they were going to, you know, put me in the tube, and I didn't think, I thought I could do it. I, so I wasn't really thinking much of it. I get on the bed. And then they put a cage, a cage over my head and like the top half of my neck. Can you imagine? And then the guy is like, okay, we're going to put you in the thing now. Slide you in. I said, well, get, 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 get this fucking cage off my head. Thank you. It, that was the probably the most petrifying experience I've ever had in my entire life. I had to leave uh, the room. I had to make a couple calls. I had to take pictures at the booth, send them out to my people. And then I calmed down. I got back in. He gave me a blindfold, a headphone, and I went in the MRI. It was it was horrifying. It was 40 minutes in this tube that was tight. And, um, you know, all these loud sounds, bells, jackhammers, banging. You know, it's going on. Um, you know, that that's the noise that's going on while you're getting this test. That is the test. And I guess, you know, you're checking brainwaves. I don't even know what the hell it's testing. But all I know is I wound up having some... Uh, cell damage and some neuron damage at the top of my head and I'm fine and it's going to heal itself six to 12 months. That's what the doctor said. The downside is that I am forgetful. I'm forgetting things. So bear with me. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting things. I'm slow, a little slow at certain things and I am confused. I get easily overwhelmed or confused. And these are sort of this hallmark concussion, uh, symptoms. I don't even, you know, the car accident, God forbid, Knock on wood or metal, whatever this uh, speaker is. But, uh, you know, 
the car accident was terrible. My car is totaled, but it, it wasn't, you know, again, not going, it wasn't one of these accidents where, you know, you look, you're rubbernecking on the side of the road and are, and are like, oh my God, did that person survive? It didn't look like that. So, you know, I, I, but just because it didn't look like that doesn't mean that you can't have real, very serious damage. And that is unfortunately the situation. But I am fine. But one of the, the, the things is that it's affecting my everyday life, which is so goddamn annoying. Like I was on the phone with work the other day with my boss and I was talking about a guy uh, at, at work. And let's just say for the sake of this story, his name was John. I spent the whole conversation referring to him as Joe. And my boss, so sweet, didn't have the heart to tell me that his name was actually John, you know? It was only until after the call I had to email the guy and I was like, oh my God, his name isn't Joe. (laughs) What are you going to do? All you could do is laugh about it, right? And the same thing happened on Thanksgiving. So, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll host Thanksgiving. No big deal. Just, you know, a couple weeks after this accident. My mom is moving. So she she didn't want to cook. She didn't want to, in her house, she didn't want to entertain. So she was going to bring most of the sides. I made a couple of things and I was making the turkey fine. Well, my all-clad roasting dish, I left at a... Uh, my, my ex and I used to have a house, uh, a, a mountain house, and... Um, I left it there, and of course, you know, I never got it back because why would he give that back to me? It's mine! But um, anyway, so, you know, I didn't have this roasting rack. I wasn't thinking properly. So, you know, I ran to the supermarket. I bought a foil one, and I prepared the turkey, which, by the way, was delicious. And I put the turkey on the foil rack, and I made hallmark mistake. All of you people that listen, I know you cook. You need to put a baking sheet underneath the tray, that has the turkey because when you baste the turkey, the the drippings will drip all over or God forbid, there's a crack in the foil pan or something spills. Well, I didn't put the baking sheet. So what wound up happening was, you know, I'm basting the turkey, da-da-da, everything's all fine, well and good. And uh, my boyfriend was there. He was giving me a hand. And then he left to go run an errand. And I decide, I'm just going to baste the turkey again myself, but I'm really going to get it juicy because he, he was opening the oven and I was basting the prior times, but I'm getting a few squirts in with the baster on the turkey. And I really wanted to get the whole bird. So I open up the oven. He's not here. And I start basting. Next thing I know, foil pan kind of like tips over the grease and drippings, whatever from the turkey ignite the whole oven on fire. Oven is like a fire breathing dragon. The kids are screaming. I'm screaming. I don't even know what the hell to do. Thank God. And you should have a fire extinguisher that I keep underneath my sink, which is right directly across my oven. And I'm grabbing the fire extinguisher and I don't know what to do. And I'm going crazy. And I got this motherfucking rent the runway dress on that's off the shoulder and has bell sleeves and the sleeves are starting to go on fire and I just shut the oven <laughs> and I'm crying and I'm crying I'm telling the girls go away go away you know and and it's black smoke it's black smoke at everywhere and thank god when I closed the oven door and I didn't know the flames started to dissipate and 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 it calmed down <clears throat> fine I turned the oven off with all of my might I took the the pot holders and I got the turkey out, this 35,000 pound bird. And I I put it on the thing and I turned the oven off and I, that was it. I walked away for 20 minutes. The bird's halfway cooked. And then once everything cooled down, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do to get this, um, 
this grease, this stuff residue that was on in the oven. So basically what happened was the grease dripped, the oven went on fire, and when I turned the oven down, it cooled off. Well, I called down to the doorman, and they said, take some dish soap and a rag and just wipe off the grease once the oven is cooled down. I did that. Didn't really work. So then I got some baking soda and a towel, and I started like scraping it off the bottom of the oven, rubbing it off, got it off, turn the oven back on, put the bird in, whole oven starts smoking again. Another fire. (laughs) Black smoke everywhere again. Turned it off, went, did the whole thing. Then that's when I called my boyfriend, get your fucking ass back to this house because the whole house is on fire and there's going to be Kenny Rogers roast this Thanksgiving in about fucking five minutes. Needless to say, he came back, he cleaned the oven. We got through, we cooked the turkey, but unfortunately... The oven was really, like, damaged from the, the grease underneath, and uh, it kept smoking Went later in the day when, when everybody brought the sides and we tried to heat it up. So we had to heat up all the side dishes. Very classy. We had to heat up all the side dishes in the microwave. And uh, that was Thanksgiving. The turkey wound up becoming delicious. It came out absolutely delicious, um, especially given the circumstances. And the side dishes were fine, but, if, but I don't know if you've ever tried to microwave 10 side dishes for 15 people. I mean, the microwave time took like an hour and a half and it was really stressful. So needless to say, the next day I was freaking exhausted. And because even though I value the idea of wellness, you know, I should have booked myself a day at the spa the Friday after Thanksgiving. But no, what do I do? I booked the midday show for the Rockettes, which was also really magical. I don't know if you've been, but the Rockettes were really something. Um, and did I tell you, did I tell you about the whole thing? Like last time, last week that, you know, I wanted to take the kids to the Rockettes, my tradition, and my ex-husband's girlfriend thought that she was going to get tickets, you know, and like, I don't know, I don't know if it's Trump me or just like override the fact that it was my tradition or I don't know. How about ask your, your boyfriend to ask his ex-wife if She's taking the kids to any shows. Anyway, well, I wound up taking them to the Rockettes, and it was great. The tickets, you know, you would have thought that they would have been a little less. I mean, I think I paid like $100 a ticket. The theater wasn't sold out, um, but we had nice seats, and the show was magical. It was really nice to go the day after Thanksgiving. I, I actually recommend that day to go because it just, bang, puts you right in the holiday spirit. And I'm usually the kind of person that puts the tree up the first week in December. But like I've told you, I put it up uh, the, the the week of Thanksgiving or the week before because my kids are going to be in the UK for Christmas. So, you know, it, I, I'm trying, I was, tr- I'm trying to get that Christmas spirit in a little earlier than usual. Um, so going to the Rockettes the day after Thanksgiving was so special. They had an amazing time. The girls were wonderful. I did notice though, lack of diversity with the Rockettes. Every girl was Caucasian, one black girl in the Rockettes. I mean, you know, and the re I would I don't think that that's something I would normally notice, and I noticed it because diversity is just a huge thing right now, and and it's becoming it's it, it's just becoming what well, it's just be it, it it's becoming our everyday, and it should have always been our everyday, and I do think that um, they should have some more uh, African American rockets. I read an article about that, and I. I don't even really know what to think. I, I actually kind of think it's not right. Um, they said uh, they said when we came out, when we started the Rockettes, when the Rockettes started, which was like, you know, in the 30s, 
the whole idea, you know, was the girls, the showgirls dancing and obviously doing all their things. But um, the uniformity of the kicks and, and you know, whether you're in the up front and the very front row or all the way, if you're very in the very, very back, the, it's visually stimulating seeing them in unison doing all these things. I get it. Synchronized dancing, kicking, the whole thing. And they had, and there was an article that said, if you start to add people of different of different uh, ethnicities in the lineup of the Rockettes, it's going to break up the uniformity. And I was just, I read that, you know, and I was like, oh, I get that, but that's fucked up. Like maybe instead of, I don't know, them wearing like clear tights, maybe they should all wear black tights or purple tights or green, you know what I'm saying? Like change the fucking costumes. How about that? I don't know, just a thought. It just seems like the Rockettes might be, uh, having cancel culture one of these days if they don't get that together. But the show is wonderful and I recommend it after. And I know that you, we, I say this all the time and I just need to stop saying it. I know you guys don't live in the city, uh, but there's a place on the Upper East Side, if you're here and you want great pizza, and I know some of you have people on the Upper East Side, but San Mateo is a, a Neapolitan pizzeria on the Upper East Side it's on 90th and 2nd on the corner. It's a tiny place. So you might have to call, try to make a reservation, or be prepared to wait. There's like six tables. But the people in there are from Italy. The pizza is amazing. Uh, amazing. Amazing. All they do is like pizza salads, a couple of little Italian things, baked pastas, whatever. We went there after for a meal. And it it was wonderful. You got to try it if you're in the area. San Mateo. They're so popular that they have a delivery window an avenue away because everybody wants to get pizza delivered from this place. And the restaurant itself can't do all the restaurant stuff and delivery. I would like to have eaten around the Rockettes, but we didn't because we needed to get the hell out of the area. And we, nobody made reservations. And, you know, if you're not making reservations on the day, when the Christmas season starts, you, you're getting in nowhere. I mean, come on, we all know that, right? And sticking with the theater theme... I don't know if you've ever been to the Paris movie theater. The Paris movie theater is so fabulous in this city. You gotta go. You gotta go. It's uh, the movie theater that's right next to the Plaza Hotel. It's like uh, right near Bergdorf's, right next to the Plaza. And uh, it's the last single seat, uh, single screen, sorry, theater in Manhattan. So it, it's it's a really special place, the Paris Theater. It's very fabulous. It's it's very it's very artsy. And um and now it's owned by Netflix. It's a great place. It was opened in 1948. When the theater opened, there was a ribbon cutting with Marlene Dietrich. It's 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 amazing. The address um I have it right here. Where is it? It's a 4 West 58th Street. Right off Fifth Avenue, but right by the plaza, right by Bergdorf's, right by all the windows. Should you do this in the, uh, you know, should you do this in the holiday season, go there. But you know, this this movie theater really became the destination for 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 Fellini films, um, and 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 just just so many movies. Anyway, moving on, they do a lot of foreign films there, and I was reading in the Times that they were having a movie called The Hand of God and it was a an Italian foreign you know foreign film Italian it's just the story is about uh, it's a re, it's based on a real story the director's uh real life and it's about a family from Naples and 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 the and just the, the parents and their love story and the whole family and the family has all these quirky characters and it's subtitled and it's great 
it's great. And to make the Manhattan movie uh, experience, you know, because going to the movie theater in Manhattan tends to be different than when you go in the suburbs. People claps. A lot of people don't eat in the movie theater, although I always like to sneak in some snacks because who could sit two hours without anything to eat, please? Anyway, but... This, um, but this was great in, in, in traditional Manhattan experience. It was, you know, everybody was clapping during the movie and, uh, the people in the theater were dressed so great and probably because it was a European crowd, but I was sitting next to uh, a couple from Germany. They, they worked at the, they work at, they're here working, uh, for a short term, uh, mission at the UN, they were telling me. Um, Everybody had the most amazing outfits on. I'm talking floor length, leopard, suede coats, and what crazy hats with feathers in them. It was just, it was amazing. And right outside the movie theater, they had a big uh, program for the hand of God. And it's like a 30-page um, program with recipes and, 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 you know, like some stuff about the family in the movie and, you know, photos of the cast. And it was just great. And the best part, tickets, $16. And really, the Paris Theater and the hands of God, you should be paying me for this. But it, the thing is, I just had such a great time and I think you need to go there. I don't know if they always do programs for the movies there. But it's a piece of New York history and it's a great place. And the recipes, by the way, in this program come from the the, um, the family. And I wanted to give you one of them because I have it in front of me. And I just think it's so, it's so great. And this pizza, there's a, sorry, this recipe is for pizza dough. And it, so, you know, they, it's, um, it's, the, let me see the, uh, is it kilograms? You know, because it's European. Let me see. Okay. Anyway. Pizza dough, here we go. Straight from Naples. Okay. One pint of water. Here's the recipe. One pint of water. Half a liter. Half a liter of water. A half a handful of coarse salt. Eight cups of white flour with no additives. And then 0.9 ounces cube of fresh brewer's yeast. I don't know what the fuck this is. Okay. It says a 0.9 ounce cube of fresh brewer's yeast. This is what this says. I don't know what fresh brewer's yeast is, but it says in the recipe that fresh brewer's yeast, it's not easy to find in the United States, but Italian stores have it. It's very big in Italy. And they said that you can find it in a supermarket. And if you go, they'll they'll probably sell it in larger pieces. So they said, buy some, uh, buy some, divide it, wrap it in tinfoil and freeze it. And take it out a few hours before using it. But you can buy this fresh brewer's yeast if you if you go around U.S. They said Italian specialty store or American food stores sometimes have them. So anyway, maybe maybe it's a good thing to ask. But anyway, you get the big bowl. You get the ingredients. You get a big bowl. You first add the water, then the salt. When the salt dissolves to the water, add the flour a little bit at a time. Knead it until you get a smooth elastic ball. And add a little flour if you need. And then cover the bowl with a dish towel and leave it to rest for 12 hours. And, and that's that. There's your pizza dough. And, you know, obviously when the dough rises, then that's when you, you know, spread it out on your baking sheet, whatever. Put your sauce, your cheese, you make it. But nice recipe. The reason why I thought that it was interesting was this fresh brewer's yeast. I don't know. I make pizza dough all the time. And usually I use a double zero flour. 
this says regular flour, so just goes to show that whoever says use the double zero flour, not necessary. And uh, I don't know about the fresh brewer's yeast. I've never used that before. When I make the dough, I just use a little packet of yeast. But now I'm going to look for this. And it's a good tip that they said that if you get extra, just cube it and freeze it and use it a couple hours before. So that's that. It was a great night. For a couple tickets, $32. Great. Um, that night, where do we have dinner? Oh, little uh, old Chinese restaurant um, in the area called Red Peony. Red Peony, uh, Shanghai food, Shanghai's food, not expensive, black and white floor, kind of like tufted velvet red chairs. Great little option should you be hungry in the area. I think it's on 56th Street, West 56th, 56th Street, Red Peony. Um, and just so you know, I don't know if you've ever listened to AM radio, um, but when I was growing up, there was, used to be two shows on AM radio that I would listen to, and uh, it was Arthur Schwartz Food Talk and Joan Hamburg, and uh, she would talk about restaurants around Manhattan. My mother would listen to them, and then I got into it, and then I started listening to it. And at the time, when I was growing up, I didn't live in Manhattan. I would never go to any of these restaurants that they were talking about. You know, and Arthur Schwartz, he would always talk about Sardis, and then he wound up having a cookbook and da 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 and, you know, and we, we got it, and my mother loved it, and the whole thing. But I just love talking about food and restaurants, so I apologize if you're sitting here listening to this in your kitchen in Ohio, and you haven't come to Manhattan, come to Manhattan yet. But when you do, now you know. If you go to the Paris Theater, you don't want to spend an arm and a leg eating dinner, and you're in the mood for New York Chinese food, go to Red Peony, and it's not going to break the bank. There you go. That's a very Joan Hamburgy thing to do. I got a message from... Uh, one of our listeners, and uh, she messaged me on Instagram, and she said that she wanted my opinion on a situation, and so I'm going to share it with you, and I'm not going to say her name, uh, but basically, she was married, she was engaged to a guy, she was engaged to a guy, and there was a wedding that they were supposed to go to together in California, and uh, she couldn't attend, and, oh, no, sorry, the wedding was in Chicago, but they, they lived in California, and I don't know, she couldn't attend for whatever reason, so he went by himself. And um, and she had a hunch that he maybe had a little fling with one of the bridesmaids. She heard some whispers, whatever. And now, fast forward, uh, they're no longer together, but she sees him on social media, and he's liking the bridesmaid's pictures, and, uh, you know, this bridesmaid, obviously wedding's way over, uh, he's liking the pictures, he's commenting on the pictures, and she said to me, um, can I ask, can I reach out to this girl, this bridesmaid, this bridesmaid from this wedding, and ask if they ever had a little thing? or if they're together. I'm so curious because I really, you know, I was torn up when I was engaged to him and he was at this wedding and who knows what, knows what went on. And I wrote her back and I said to her, I would just ask him directly. Like, I'm going to maybe assume that you're on good terms with him or you talk to him every now and then or whatever. And I would just ask casually, very casually, somehow bring up the wedding, somehow say, you know, ah, maybe it was better. I didn't wind up going to that wedding. You wound up going and having a great time. And uh, yeah, and you know, I, didn't you have a fling with Susie so-and-so? You know, bring it up like that. That's what I said. Why would you go to the girl? I wouldn't go to the girl and ask her. I feel like that that would seem a little crazy, right? Like going to somebody and say, oh, you know, when I was engaged to John and, and um, you know, did you sleep with him when we were together? I mean, she's not going to tell you the truth. But the thing is, really, and I didn't say this on to her. I'm saying it to you now because I'm sure you're listening, is that 
I wouldn't even probably do anything if I really were you. If you're really a gung-ho, desperate to find out, I would ask him and do it in a casual way. But be prepared for the fact that if he even gets a sniff of you trying to dig into his past or his current or anything, he might just shut you off. He might shut down because men, men don't want us to think, you know, men don't want us to think that women are, you know, we're, we're all in their business like that. But I wouldn't care. I wouldn't want to waste my energy on that. I wouldn't want to waste my time. Um, it's it's over. It's over between you guys. It w- it's over for a reason. And if he cheated, calm as a bitch, it will come back to him. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're better than him. You're better than him and you're better than her. So I would just move on. I wouldn't even... I wouldn't even think about it. Social media is really, like, it's really the worst. You know, the other day I was at the diner on the Upper East Side, a diner three guys on Madison Avenue. I was trying to go to San Ambrose, also on Madison Avenue, for a coffee. But, you know, this is the only place in the city that at 8.30 in the morning you need reservations for coffee, okay? It's a very fabulous place with great pastries. I recommend it. But I went to the diner, and I'm sitting behind two Episcopalian priests that are talking about um, the university system in the UK versus the US. It was a very interesting conversation, but somehow they got onto the topic of social media. I couldn't help to listen. And they were older. They were in their um, 70s, maybe early 80s. And they were talking about how destructive social media is um, from their point of view to the students. And they hear all of these students, uh, you know, come to them. I think they're, they're priests, but I, I think that they work in uni- in the universities. And, um, and the colleges, and they were talking about all the students and how destructive social media is, and I, and it is for these reasons. Like you wouldn't even know, you wouldn't be thinking about your ex boyfriend, your ex fiance, if you weren't seeing him liking her pictures. You know, it's 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 just awful. Anyway, we never talked about Stephen Sondheim um, passing away. Just terrible. I lo- I absolutely loved him. Composer, lyricist, wrote wrote the lyrics for for Gypsy, and he was just obviously you know a legend. And if you haven't seen the movie on Netflix, the documentary, Elaine Stritch, Shoot Me, you got to watch it. She loved him. She worked with him all the time. And it's it's like the most New York documentary you could find. Elaine Stritch, Just Shoot Me or Shoot Me. I can't remember. Is it Shoot Me or Just Shoot Me? But it's on Netflix. Type in Elaine Stritch and you'll find it. But there was a whole tribute to the time in the Times on Stephen Sondheim and all the stuff that he, uh, you know, he he composed and how and and every and so many um, actors were giving tributes to him and it was just so beautiful. And he mentioned his story with uh, his parents. He said his mother was a real horror. And yeah, I never heard of this. And uh, she said he said he said <clears throat> right before he died. When his father left, his parents got divorced when he was a baby. And when his father left, his mother substituted him for his father. And she used to beat him up the way the mother used to beat up the father. And uh, she used to, you know, treat him like like shit. But she also used to, like, come on to him at the same time. What, how, what a psychopath. And she, the, his mother, Stephen Sondheim's mother, once wrote him a letter that said the only regret she's ever had in her whole entire life was giving birth to him. What a, what a disgust, what a disgusting, what a disgusting piece of shit mother. Can you imagine this lady, Stephen Sondheim's mother, died in, in 1992. And he didn't go to her funeral. And good, why would he? She didn't talk to him for the last, uh, he, she didn't talk to him for the past 20 years prior. So, talked to her for the past 20 years. So, who cares? But, Sometimes um, 
the more I, you know, the, the longer I'm in entertainment, this entertainment business, the longer I, I see sometimes these people that are just such geniuses. They come from such broken homes or they have such crazy things happen to them or things that were said to them. And sometimes I wonder if that, like, inspires this, uh, this, this fuels the fire for this genius or this sort of um, perfectionism that makes these people just these, these mega talents. I don't know. Just a thought. Product of the day. It's not really a product. It's more just a gift idea. Um, there is <laughs> a thing called EstablishedTitles.com. So it's uh, if you want to become a lord or a lady in Scotland, if you want to buy that for somebody for Christmas, or if you want to just have it for yourself, it's a cute idea. For $50, you can go to EstablishedTitles.com and you can dedicate a plot of land one square foot of land, it will be in Scotland. It'll be in Scotland, and you get a personalized tile, little certificate with your with your name or whosoever name you're gifting it to. You get a plot number, uh, and and they plant a tree in your honor. I don't know if it's on the the plot of land that you bought. And then for more money, you can get a printed certificate. I think it's a great idea. And you know, we're not going to buy this for yourself, but it's cute if you're like of if you have you know if you're if you're Scottish if you have Scottish heritage. Uh, or if just somebody wants to be like Scott Disick and uh, go around referring to them as the Lord. Now you could actually, you know, make him a lordship, a, uh, give him a lordship with a little piece of land. Anywho, this weekend I'll be baking the fruit cake for my children, the traditional British fruit cake. <sighs> we'll probably talk about that next week. I'll tell you the recipe. It's actually very good. I got to start to soak the dried fruit and brandy like a week before we start the um, the cake. If you want to make it along with me, you just take whatever dried fruit you have, you chop it up. I'm using dates and figs and apricots, maybe some uh, craisins. Chop them all up, food processor, give it a whiz, and then pour it in brandy. If you don't have brandy, you could use rum and you cover it uh, in a big bowl for about a week. You soak that alcohol, the fruit in that alcohol, and then we're going to start to make the cake. Cake lasts forever. We'll talk. That's the end of the Elise DeLucci show for today, episode 85. And as always, leaving you with a quote from Milton Berle, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Thank you for bearing with me if I was slow was slightly forgetful, and I am coming back, and it's on, and ay 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 a concussion, a concussion at the holidays, and a totaled car. I hope Santa's good to me. You know, mommy would like a car under the tree. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, thank you, as always, for listening. I will talk to you soon, and if I don't hear from you until the new year, happy new year, but I will be back next week. I'm not going to